Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. Currently, I am tucked away in a room at Union College. I've been here in Schenectady, New York for a few days doing live podcasts, and it's been incredible. Um, And I spent uh, about a week and a half in Manhattan uh, doing Grammy stuff and interviewing people for the podcast. Those episodes are coming up, and I'm really excited. Um, But I got to uh, actually meet the person who is in this episode in person, even though when we did the episode, um, we did it over Skype. Um, Barbara Corrales is awesome. She is uh, an author, a sex educator, performance artist. Uh, She's a certified sexologist. That's pretty darn cool. Um, So she does workshops about uh, breathing techniques uh, for uh, to actually facilitate orgasm through breathing techniques. Yes, you heard that correctly. And she has a second edition of a book out now called Urban Tantra, Sacred Sex for the 21st Century. I gave this book away at Christmas time to friends and have heard back from several people about how wonderful the book is. And in fact, um, uh, some very glowing reports about uh, experiences after using some of the techniques in the book. So to that end, uh, I will tell you that I have an, a book to give away. If you are interested in being eligible for a drawing for Urban Tantra by Barbara, um, please email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. Put book in the subject line and you will be entered to win a copy of Urban Tantra by Barbara. And I will randomly select someone out of the emails I receive and send it to you. And uh, I know you'll enjoy it. It's a great book. Uh, When I was in New York, I got to meet Barbara and her partner, Kate Bornstein. Uh, I interviewed Kate as well for an upcoming episode, so that was very cool. And yeah, uh, this has been such a (laughs) <laughs> this episode, it's, I suppose, I have to give it the not safe for work, obviously, because um, we t- deal with topics that some people might find not good for the HR department to catch wind of. So, to catch wind of, I have a bit of a head cold, by the way, right now. So, if you think I sound like I have a code in my node, you are correct. Um, please excuse that. Oh, and also, um, I hurriedly put the episode up on what I thought was Monday last this last weekend thinking I woke up on Sunday morning I actually thought it was Monday and hurried I was like oh my gosh how did I forget to do the podcast oh my gosh because I'm still getting used to the Monday Thursday episodes and so I raced around and I did my you know did all the links and did everything and got it all ready and apologized and said I'm so sorry this is late on Monday you know things are just crazy on this trip and and I posted it <laughs> a little while later my friend Ellen called and said um you know it's Sunday right Oh, I felt like such an idiot. I really did think it was Monday. So there you go. I was actually a day early. What are you going to do? Uh, anyway, uh, the usual stuff. Follow me, social media. Hey Human Podcast is on Instagram. Uh, it's on Facebook. My own stuff, Susan Ruthism, is on Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. And uh, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. 
that's really helpful. And if you're an Amazon shopper, a great way to support Hey Human without having to think much about it is to go to the heyhumanpodcast.com website. And at the top of the page is Amazon affiliate link. You click on that Amazon affiliate banner link thing and you get taken to Amazon and you shop just like normal and a little bit helps support Hey Human. So if you are an Amazon person, please do so through heyhumanpodcast.com and and help help the show out. That would be great. All right, well, back to Barbara. Um, we had a fantastic conversation, and I really am excited for you all to hear it. I thought it would be fun to put this episode out um, here at the beginning of February. So February 1st is when this will air, uh, just, you know, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, because Urban Tantra is not just about breathing and orgasm and things. It's also about loving and loving oneself and loving someone else and loving a feeling, you know, all, all of it is very good and positive, sex positive, if you will. And um, so I encourage everyone listening to, to go to Amazon and purchase the book. I'll have a link to the book um, on heyhumanpodcast.com's link page along with other stuff, of course, from this episode. Uh, But yes, I encourage you to get the book, Urban Tantra, second edition. It's really great. I read it myself. I loved it. I have employed the techniques uh, myself. It is certainly worth the purchase, whether you're loving on yourself or loving someone else, uh, however it looks to you. I think it's a great addition to anyone's treasure trove of... um, experiences and research and knowledge all the good stuff so without further ado let's get with it here we go hi hi barbara corrales uh, i've been following your work for quite a long time um and so when you said yes to being on high human i was very excited I'm very excited by the whole notion of Hey Human. I love the collection of people. Yeah, it's it's wild, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy good, and yeah, I you. I like the amount of I like your curiosity about people. Yeah, people are fascinating. I agree. Humans are fascinating, and all their weird and wonderful and everything, all this stuff. Yeah. All the stuff. All the stuff. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being here across the air. You're in New York presently? I'm in New York. Yeah. At least right now. (laughs) I was so hoping I was going to, I was supposed to be coming to New York and things are not, I just haven't gotten there yet. So it would have been fun to do it in person. But when I get there, I would love to meet you in real life. Yeah, let's just do that. Okay, good. Go have tea or someplace. Good. All right. So you are an author and a speaker and um, uh, an artist, mm-hmm. and uh, your, your books. Okay, you got Ecstasy is Necessary, uh, Luxurious Loving, which I love the title <laughs> of that, and then uh, Urban Tantra, and I just read that, the, the last one, Urban Tantra, and it's awesome. I'm so excited because I can give it away for Christmas. I'm going to buy a whole bunch. I've been, I've been texting all my friends and I'm like, you'll never believe it's going to be on the show and I'm getting everybody the book. It's so good. Oh, and your timing's great because thanks to the generosity and good sense of my publisher, 10 speed, uh, there's a new edition. Yes. 
This is the one I read, correct? edition. It's just coming out. So, yeah, the new one says second edition on the cover. And, yeah, I updated it because so much had changed since the original Urban Tantra. Yeah, and I want to talk about that, too. Um, So I guess the best place to start, as always, is in the beginning. Um, You are certainly (laughs) sex positive. You are sensation positive, I would say. (laughs) What began you on your journey um, to who you are and and continually becoming? Uh Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Because God knows where I'll wind up. Right. Um, in short, I was, I, uh, this is who I am now and what I'm doing now is something of a surprise to me, not a total shock, but definitely a surprise because when starting from the age of four, I knew I was going into the theater. That's my root art form. That's who I am in my essence. I'm a theater person. And that's what I did. I worked really, really hard. And by the time I was 20, I was working on Broadway as a a production manager and later a general manager and later still an executive producer of Broadway and off-Broadway shows. Mm -hmm. And... By, uh, in 1982, I was uh, part of the general management team of the first production of the Broadway musical Nine. <coughs> Sorry, just getting over a cold. No worries. Um, and Nine was a huge hit. It won the to- Tony for Best Musical. I really was living my complete and total dream. Everything had come true. It was a glamorous, beautiful show with wonderful people who I enjoyed seeing every day. It was just living the ultimate dream. And there was something uneasy on the street. People were getting sick. And we'd first heard of this weird, maybe gay cancer thing in the New York Times in July of 81. But by a year later, something more nefarious, something was up. And over the years that followed, obviously, we just took a deep dive into a horrible plague. And because I was in the theater with its higher proportion of gay men, I was at one of the epicenters of the plague. You're, of course, talking about AIDS, AIDS. for those who aren't sure what she's referring yes, to. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, by the late 80s, and I was continuing to have some success <coughs> on, Broadway, on Broadway, but by 19, I think, 88, I was doing a production of a Broadway production, a stage production of the musical, the famous movie musical, Meet Me in St. Louis. And I would look myself at myself in the mirror every morning and go, why am I doing this? This seems so meaningless because I wasn't doing a show that changed the world, you know, Uh, (laughs) a stage revival of a movie musical about not much felt very, very like a wasted life as up to four people in my life a week were dying. Yeah. You lost a lot of people. You said in your book, like upwards of a couple hundred. Yeah. A couple hundred, you know, I stopped counting. Yeah. So, I went to something called the New York Healing Circle, 
the New York Healing Circle was a support group for people with AIDS and people who loved them. And it was based on the work of Louise Hay, the metaphysical teacher, who was the only person really doing, uh, approaching AIDS from any kind of positive viewpoint. Um, and really creating a world where it was still safe for us to all love ourselves and each other. And at that healing circle, I met Annie Sprinkle, who was a porn star who had already transitioned into feminist porn artist and was on her way to performance artist, and Joseph Kramer, who had founded the Body Electric School for Gay Men. Our, our shared question was, what's going to happen with sex? Right now, everybody's too scared to have sex. So we're just living in a sex equals death culture, but that's not going to last. And when it stops lasting, which we would like it to stop, um, people are just going to pass this virus on and on and on and on and on. And it's obviously going to go way past the gay community because we had seen it already was. So we wanted to find a way for our us and our brothers to have sex safely but more than safely we needed a spiritual component because god was presented at, any people were telling us that aids was god's punishment on all us perverts Mm-hmm. which included but was not limited to gay men. Right. And um, so the God or gods that most people had grown up with was not on their side. Mm-hmm. So a spirit, a sense of spiritual solace was certainly necessary, as was a way to, to cope with grief. Joe had already started exploring Taoist sexuality, which had been a which was a branch of Chinese medicine, and combining it with breath work and body work, which he had previously done. Mm-hmm. Annie and I said, "Okay, tantra, another Eastern form of what we were being told was sexuality." Uh, Eastern sexual practice. Let's explore that. Let's see what's available there. Because in the East, it seemed to us, sex was thought of more as an energy you allowed than a physical act you did. Mm-hmm. And and ecstatic, too. It was a means of connecting with source instead of being shamed right. by source, which is a very Western and European construct. Precisely. And we started to learn that Tantra simply held, it's not a simple thing at all, it's ancient and vast. However, for us, it held the promise that there was divinity in just living the life that was presented to you fully, completely, and consciously, and making choices based on that consciousness in other words delving into life as though it were the spiritual practice no matter what was going on and with just even a little practice at that it did start to seem that there was divinity in all we were looking at even when we what we were looking at was painful Mm. and that there was an ecstatic expression in everything we were looking at 
and sometimes that included pain. Because mm-hmm. ecstasy isn't just pleasure. Oh, doesn't yeah. this feel nice? Right. Yeah. Ecstasy is shake you apart, bang you around, rearrange your molecules, put you back together, and go. How you feeling now? Mm-hmm. It's it's much bigger. So that's what started me on this path. Most, I think people who, who, who haven't heard the background story kind of think, oh, she must have been looking for a better relationship or... No. <laughs> I was just trying to save some lives. Isn't that interesting that the first thought people have in a moment of, of, of growth or understanding, especially when it comes to sexuality and, and finding the body electric within ourselves... Um, that it's presumed that it's for the journey outward. It's it, that it's for seeking someone else. Like, how do I make myself more attractive to other instead of looking at it? How do I make myself more attractive to myself? Because it always starts with us, but we're constantly out here grabbing at straws with that misunderstanding of no, no, no. Guess what starts? I mean, everyone's allowed their dance, so don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's in here. It's in the... My teach, late teaching partner, Chester, used to say, we would teach something um, called, that I call the clench and hold in urban tantra. Mm-hmm. Joe Kramer called it the big draw based on a Taoist technique. The premise was that you built up a lot of energy in your body and then you shut all that energy down by tensing your body and holding your breath. And the theory was there was no place for that energy to go but up the inner flute. This bamboo, this imaginary, if you will, bamboo reed running through our center. And it would be called ejection of consciousness. And Chester would say, you know... Even really enlightened spiritual paths have fallen victim to have fallen to be a victim of body shaming negativity. It's like ejection of consciousness implies that we have to shoot ourselves out of our bodies to get to someplace more pure and holy. Mm-hmm. So he used to call the same experience injection of consciousness. And invite us to explore the divinity within. Which, of course, sounds a lot like upper and lower worlds in shamanic work, which is great. But I loved, I loved the notion of injection of consciousness and exploring the divinity there. As you said, as opposed to looking for it only without, only in outside connection. Yeah. Yeah, because everything starts with us. So it's interesting. Again, I love I love your book. It's it's so good. Um, it's very easy to read. It's funny. It's poignant. It's got great examples of how to you know all of your you know going through the breathing exercises and all that. Um, before we dive into what all that is, I I was curious to know your opinion about why cultures when way back when the sacred involved sexuality and sex and then it made a shift which you know follow the money follow the power whoever's in power or has the most money gets to make the rules um 
why did it shift into being shameful and, you know, masturbation? Nope. Uh, sex. Nope. Joy. Nope. All that stuff. What do you think happened that twisted things into that? I have friends, for example, who say, oh, I'm not going to get married until I'm not going to have sex till I get married, which is fine and all that. But the reasoning behind it is because they feel so much shame, guys and girls. I know guys who are ashamed to masturbate because they feel like there's this ever-present eye looking over them, you know, and that they're being dirty and anyway, all that stuff. Why do you think that happened? Because you are a sex historian, so I would feel like you would have a good answer for this question. You know, every time I think I've landed on, aha, that was the seed, that was the tipping point, I find that there's something earlier. <laughs> and I'm actually not a historian, but I'm just well. I mean that in the much sense like of, you, a, a curious person. Yeah, I mean that uh, in the sense of you have you've read so much about the history of sex. I guess I should have put it that way better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you're. I think then uh, you hit the nugget, which is shame. Shame is a, an insanely powerful emotion, and I think. You said, follow the money, follow the power. I agree with that. And I think one of the most effective ways to control people or the situation is to inject shame into it. So earlier than we can, I was thinking yesterday, small digression. I was yesterday um, in the Australian Park Parliament um, this is going to make the podcast dated, but I don't care because it's a good point. Um, Australian Parliament announced the vote count, a national referendum on gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And of the people who voted, 61% um, or more wanted were in favor of, of the right to marry. Great. I am actually opposed to le- any form of legal marriage because I think um, quite simply we've got a very dangerous and unfair and privileged co-option of an intersection of church and state there. And But I wanted to acknowledge that my queer family in Australia had many of them, they felt they had achieved a great victory and on a civil rights level they had. So I was thinking back around, okay, when did this marriage thing start? Where did it start legally? Where did it start morally? I'm doing air quotes. Um, And legally, marriage was a way of ensuring uh, property Mm -hmm. and 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 material wealth got uh, protected instead of divested or squandered. Okay, then the I'm sure there were sex. There have been sex negative religions way before Christianity. The ascetics in in, in India for, is just one I can think of. There have certainly been uh, celibate traditions which have become in their development sex negative because it started with celibacy, whatever, you you get the point. Celibate cultures tend to die out quicker. (laughs) 
So, so of course, that didn't work. You couldn't be completely sex negative and stay on the planet. So they had to figure out something else. Where I, where in my memory of studying, things took a global turn toward sex is only okay in marriage was when the early Christians, is it St. Augustine in particular, St. Peter I remember as well, said, all right, if we're going to have to have, there, sex is going to have to exist for the, um, for the species to continue, but we've got to contain it. Let's put it within marriage. Because I really do believe that religions, organized religions, growing religions, needed to, in order for them to last, they needed increasing control over their populations. Mm-hmm. So more and more rules got laid on top of what it meant to be a good whatever. And I think sex is just the biggest overarching um means of control and the easiest way to do that is to tell somebody they're sinning or to shame them in some other productive way into uh yet another kind of civil obedience to money and power right i don't think a lot of people understand that it used to be that priests could in fact marry and uh have children and the church realized that there were way too many mouths to feed and way too much property being divvied up among family and they said well well, wait a minute we want to we want to keep this for ourselves henceforth no more marriage for priests no more children for priests there's all sorts of very 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 practical reasons to control Mm -hmm. sex Mm -hmm. based on whatever it is you think needs to be controlled for whatever reason you think it needs to be controlled for yes and thusly of course you tell people no enough times they'll still find a way to do it and then you get all these other offshoots because of their own feelings about sex. Um. And when people are in ecstatic ritual, finding God on the other side of an orgasm, it does diminish the power of an organized religious state. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with that. It just does. Yes. And they don't want you looking there and to yourself. Right. Uh, they want you looking toward them. Right. Which was Isn't that why the Gnostics were, you know, driven from the kingdom? <laughs> it's funny when, uh, when people say to me, oh, well, you know, sex is a sin. And, the, you know, the Bible says, no, no, no. And I say, well, go read Song of Solomon and get back to me. Because that's mm. soft core porn. <laughs> <laughs> In the Bible, no less. We also have to remember that so many books of, uh, oh, especially the 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 New Testament was all written so long after oh, yeah. anybody had ever met Christ. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> One good book on sex in history is, in fact, Sex in History by Ray uh-huh. Tannehill. Okay. I really loved that book. If Ray Tannehill, Sex in History. R-E-A-Y, I think, Tannehill. Okay. On every, uh, for every episode, I do a links. Uh, section on my website so people can get references and all that. That was a really fun book. She also, I think, did food in history. Or they. I'm not even sure what the gender is. Yeah. 
And food and sex. So let's go well together as exactly. well. Exactly. <laughs> so the, uh, something that draws me to your work um, is that I think people hear Tantra, Tantric, and immediately their brain goes to, oh, that's like 12-hour boning session. Or they think of Sting or, you know, whatever. Yes, yes. And what is, uh, I think, a finer point is that you are telling people, hey, guess what? You don't have to put anything in you. <laughs> you don't have to do that. It's all about breathing. Um, can you talk a little bit about all that work that you do around the, the, the breathing? I- one, of, one of the funniest, funnest things that happened when I was studying um, Tantra and trying to figure out how I was going to teach it to um, a whole bunch of queer people <laughs> which is how I started, um, was I like taking things apart to seeing how they work. When I was seven years old, I took my bicycle apart to see how it worked. Uh, and I got it back together again by myself, I'll, I'll, I'm proud to say. And I guess the same thing is true of sex. I got it back together by myself. <laughs> um, I noticed that, and I discovered it primarily through learning breath and energy orgasms. I noticed that if you take the genital touch or boning part of sex away (laughs) and just practice, look at and practice all the others, all the other things that make up an erotic encounter with yourself or with someone else. What are those things? Your breathing is substantially different in good sex, great sex. Uh, You're moving. Or if you're tied down, for those people who like that kind of thing, you're probably even moving more with against restraints, mm-hmm. if that's your thing. Yes. Um, you're making sounds to the extent that your neighbors will allow you. You're, um, um, I'm missing one. Ah, your mind is mindfully, consciously focused most of the time on what's happening right then and there. All of this is the energetic mix of sex. And if you just do those things, you will reach an orgasmic state. Your genitals don't have to be involved at all. Mm -hmm. And this to me was perhaps the greatest revelation of my life. It was like, if this is possible, what else is possible that I had no idea about? Louise Hay in 1989 had done a lecture called The Totality of Possibilities. It's, it's based on a, a church of religious science teacher named Eric Pace. It was, it was something she learned from him. And all it means is that there is a totality of possibilities out there and we tend to live under a ceiling a very low hanging ceiling of limited possibilities Mm -hmm. we believe that we know what's possible for us we don't have a clue what's possible if we did the internet would have happened 2000 BC Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) Um, and anything that lifts our ceiling of possibilities is a wonderful thing So, back to the breath and sex, 
when I learned that essentially just by breathing, plus my little add-ons that I just mentioned, I could hit prolonged ecstatic states. The world and everything about how I viewed life and sex changed. Mm -hmm. And I went, this is what I would like to teach everyone. (laughs) It was a similar feeling to one that I would experience in the theater when I was watching something really powerfully, theatrically, magically effective. I used to have energy orgasms in the theater when everything would come together perfectly and, you know, like especially in a musical where it all kind of swells together and everything's just building and building and building and... (gasps) Yeah. Something that existed all over the place in the world. Mm -hmm. But people had lost touch with being able to let go and find those moments. So for those of you listening, uh, Barbara has uh, figured out that one does not need to touch oneself in order to reach an ecstatic state or an orgasm, and you teach other people how to do it. And one of the things in your book that I thought was really great is you talk about things like giggle-gasm, anger-gasm, like all these... I, I don't think we think about that, that we have... Every time we sneeze, that's an experience that is... You know, or have a really great bowel movement. You know, all these things create very powerful feelings in us. And you can joke all you want about it, but it's it's true. Um, And uh, culturally speaking, our emotions often get dis. I know this is going to sound weird, but we are not encouraged to express deep, deep emotional feelings during sex, unless it's love. Even then, I I would argue that many people who are in love are terrified to be vulnerable with each other. Well said. You're absolutely right. I think I meant the mythical word Mm. on the cover of a magazine Mm. in a supermarket love, because you're absolutely right about the real stuff. But you're not supposed to laugh too much or cry. God forbid, get angry. Um, And many of the emotions we feel during sex have nothing to do with who we're with. They're emotions that are sitting in our body ready to be released. Mm -hmm. Wilhelm Reich talked about that. Wilhelm Reich said um, orgasm is the body's most effective um, tension release system and none of us back in the early 20th century in his opinion and I would agree very few of us are having emotion uh, orgasms uh, complete and full enough to actually fulfill their function as the body's number one tension release system mm-hmm. and you talk about orgasm in the fact that it is full body it's not limited to genital or you know the leap from genital to brain back to genital that is that's it well that, said yeah that is uh, this traditional concept of orgasm you're talking about something that is in, engaging the entire body and that leap from body to brain to body to brain you have a way with a phrase and a concept <laughs> i've heard it in your other podcasts that just blow me away oh, just thank you to say that <laughs> but one of the one of the diagrams in your book um you showed the the snake 
wrapping around the body. And then, of course, you, you, you talk about engaging your chakras, which, of course, some people will be like, oh, that's so woo-woo, chakras. But take away the word chakra and just think about different points of your body. You know, I do. Actually, when I teach it, I frequently just drop the word chakra and just do perineum, that point between genital and anus, the lower belly, solar plexus, heart, mm-hmm. throat, middle of the forehead, third eye, and t- crown, top of head. That's all you need to know. Yeah. How did you, when you first were able to have that experience and engage your body fully, did you go, holy shit, <laughs> what have I got here? <laughs> I, I was blown away. And interestingly enough, it happened the first time I tried it. The first, Annie and I were co-explorers, so we were frequently at the same place at the same time learning the same thing. And so the first time I had a breath and energy orgasm, it was a fo- called by my Tantra teacher, Joala, a fire breath orgasm. Uh, it was a version that had been taught to her by a teacher of hers. It's uh, I do a, a, a slightly different version now. There is no one right way because everybody's different and this technique is ancient. Um, it just hasn't been passed down as widely as I would like to make it. Um, but it was just uh, imagining breathing circles of energy up the body, up, the, up those chakras. And I just, it, I just went into it the first time I tried it and, I, and was like, oh my God. Now, interestingly enough, my friend Annie did not feel anything the first time we did that technique. Fast forward just a few months, Joe Kramer, Joseph Kramer, was in town doing, I call them Joseph's Dance and Breathe Until You Come parties. He called them something else. But it was. It was just a big breathe a lot, move a lot of energy, dance around, lie down, and do what I described as the clench and hold. Um, Take a deep breath, hold that breath, clench your butt, clench your abs, push. I tell people to push everything into the floor to just tense up everything. Hold for 15 seconds, let go. The first time Annie tried that, she blasted off. I could hear her laugh across a very large room. And all the other gay men in the room just followed her out on that rocket. And I felt nothing. I was lying there like a pet rock. So I went, oh, this technique. Some of these take practice for some people, some others don't. It took me four months, I think, to get the clench and hold. It had taken Annie like four months to get what we were calling the fire breath orgasm. So now when I teach them, I combine the two things. And it's to hopefully up the ante that <laughs> someone will feel something because, and, and most people do. So yes, it, it completely, it, I walked from there going, if there was, if I did nothing for the rest of my life but teach people how to do this, I would change the planet. And I actually still feel that way. Mm. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm glad you're out there doing that. Is it when you first walk into a room of people, obviously they want to be there or they wouldn't be there. Um, 
But I imagine they're also bringing with them their luggage. Yes. <laughs> and so there's the first part of it is likely them trying to unpack that luggage and maybe they don't get through all of it. You know, how do you, for people listening, um, of course, I recommend taking your classes and you are renowned for, for teaching. Um, but for those who are not able to do that, how do you, how do you help people help themselves letting go and, and being in that breath and out of their mind? I mean, God, we are bombarded by stimulation all day long. And, um, it's pretty easy to get, to go from a feeling of nothingness to up in your head again, right? And then all bets are off. So what do you say to people who come to you and they're like, okay, I really want to do this, but I've got all my, my brain is buzzing with the world and my own shit, you know? <laughs> the first bit is give your mind something erotically constructive to do. If you don't, it'll do just what you just described. So if we can say, all right, now let's, first I take people through an exercise in how they imagine, which we don't have time to do right now, but you can kind of do this on your own. It's like, if you were to, how would you, if you, if I ask you to energize your hand, how would you imagine the energy? Would you see it glowing red? Would you hear it buzzing? Would you feel warm honey running into it? What would be the most effective way that you could imagine energizing your hand? Keyword imagine. Most people have a way that works better than the others. Um, like they might imagine it vibrating or actually vibrate it. They might see it, see a color. They might hear a sound. And if you can figure out for yourself which of those might work better, first step. Okay, so now the breath and energy orgasm asks you to move energy up your body with your breath. So another trick I might use is, and all you have to do, by the way, is breathe a bit fuller and deeper than you usually do. There are, God knows I teach all sorts of wonderful and mind-altering ways to breathe, yeah. but to keep it simple, just breathe more. And breathe through your mouth if that's comfortable for you, because you're taking a lot more air that way. Okay, so you're breathing and you're imagining now. I might, first of all, also with my breath, I'm taking some fuller breaths, but I'm going to lose focus on my breath if that's all I do. So I might take a breath and send it to the back of my shoulders and take five breaths in my shoulders. Then I might take five breaths lower down. You see what I'm doing. Or maybe five faster breaths. Every few breaths, I'm mixing it up because that means I have to keep my mind focused on it. Mm -hmm. If I'm, the, the instructions for a breath and energy gasm, the way I teach it, are imagine that you're breathing energy into, let's say, your lower belly. So how might I do that? Lower belly, lower belly. Well, I think I'll imagine with every breath, 
I'm breathing in energy from the center of the earth because that's the most powerful energy I can think of. And I'm going to imagine it as swirling warm whirlpool water or whatever. And I now am so involved in keeping my whirlpool, warm whirlpool going and my breaths Eventually, this will all start to do me as consciously as I am doing it. But that's how I get my mind to go, hey, this is fun, instead of what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, and like anything, it's, it's a practice. It's a practice. And Tantra, the words Tantra and Tantra Yoga go together because um, there is a yoga to this stuff. And it's a physical practice. That's going back to how we, where we started our conversation. Tantra is where the divine meets the flesh. You need awareness of both. Mm-hmm. You drop out one and it becomes something else mm-hmm. that isn't so Tantra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a, you speak a lot about, obviously the whole concept of it is breathing, but you speak uh, about breathing in tandem with, with your partner. And mm. I, when I read that, I was like, yes, I, I had this, one of my dear friends, I had a conversation with him a long time ago. We, he had just started dating someone who was uh, uncomfortable with uh, giving him oral sex. She just didn't like it. And I said to him, I was like, okay, well, you know, you got to practice, you know, practice and figure out what it is that she doesn't like and talk to her and all that stuff. I said, one of the things that I think really works is learning how to breathe together so that instead of her just, you know, sucking on your, you know, whatever, it's, it's actually more about the breath than what's happening. And so, and it takes you out of, I think there's a lot of connotations with a lot of parts of sex that people just immediately go, oh, gross, or oh, scary, or oh, and there are, there are many levels as reasons why, and you know, of that's, course, and that's a long, yeah, yes. it's a long conversation, but, but yes, that I read that and I was like, yes, breathing with someone, it like takes everything away. It and, changes every yeah, interaction, every interaction. Huge difference. Yeah, it's it's and and you can. And breathing with someone, there's a whole lots of variations on that. One is you're breathing with someone to get in sync with someone, mm-hmm. like you just described. Mm-hmm. Or there could be your breathing. I'll go. We'll go a little power exchange here. You're breathing with the intention of bringing them along. Mm-hmm. Or your uh, and that could be calming them down. That could be exciting them. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, there's there's so many different ways. To engage the breath to improve connection. You uh, breathing to understand where someone is. In other words, I pick up on the way you're breathing solely so that I can kind of literally put myself in your shoes for a minute there. Which is the ultimate vulnerability, really. Mm. Yeah. Nothing so sexier than that. <laughs> there's the there's the using it as, if you will, an investigative tool, mm-hmm. as a, a leading mechanism as a as a, a e- equality experiment that's not what i meant but you know what i mean uh, uh we both decide that we're going to engage in this for the purpose of getting closer balance balance 
and I love the blowjob example. That's a perfect example. If if everybody were breathing, what the mouth was doing on the penis would matter a lot less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. Just based on my own experiences, I think that is true. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing I think is important uh, to note is that orgasm doesn't have to mean ejaculation. I think people connect so this all the time, but you talk about that, and I think that's an important thing to talk about. And the uh, the erotic awakening massages that I that I talk about in um, Urban Tantra and teach uh, live um, are good training grounds, really, really fun training grounds for um, learning to separate orgasm and ejaculation. Mm-hmm. And I'm there are branches of tantra and then further down branches of tantra that deal with with sex because not all tantra deals with sex um that and taoist sexuality that advocate semen retention which is we don't ejaculate or we ejaculate once a year or whatever i'm not a particular uh proponent one way or the other i know tantra practitioners who are very into semen retention great if that's what works for you that's fabulous but i don't think that it's you know like oh my god you're not fully realized unless you can do that that's not the point here at all (laughs) not at all but um being able to separate orgasm and ejaculation can make for a much deeper prolonged experience journey into that divine space Right. That's why to do it. Right. <laughs> in my view. So instead of making it all about coming, it's it's more about it, like the the journey to Ithaca. It's not getting to Ithaca. It's not Ithaca itself. It was what you learned on the way. Thank you. And and that's that is another absolute essence of tantra is 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 you might have an intention but you don't have a goal. Mhm. And there, you know, there's a lot of ways we can fulfill an intention. There's only one way we can fill a, fulfill a goal, which mm-hmm. is to hit the goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the intention, we can get there an infinite variety of ways, and we'll have a wonderful time trying, and maybe we'll wind up someplace, in fact, likely we'll wind up someplace we didn't even know existed. Yeah, and... And you're still learning. I mean, you, you mentioned oh, that this yes. is your, which is wonderful. I mean, that's the beauty of living is learning. And y- you talk. I don't think I know very much. I really But think that's that the best I... way to be. To know that you know nothing is the best way to be. You know, I always say, I'm, I like, know I, I'm constantly, cool... that's what feeds curiosity is feeling like you still don't know enough. You know, oh, that you'll I never. I don't even vaguely know enough i know a few things that have been that people tell me help them Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons i write and teach is because it puts me into communities of people where by holding space i can learn more Mm -hmm. my whole um the whole erotic awakening massage for trans and gender non-conforming people which is new in this edition of urban i was just gonna bring that up so i'm glad you did came totally out of um um one of the premises uh, of urban tantra as a community is that um uh, the whole reason for urban tantra was inclusivity so that no one felt excluded from a tantric practice, right. no matter what 
their identity or activity preferences were. And um, that came out of exploring in my urban contra professional training program and noticing for years that there was more than just this that that the genitals were just one small energy generator what's the essence of this experience and how can and trans and gender nonconforming people became our teachers as they tried to navigate their changing identities and bodies mm-hmm. and so it was a collaboration of of exploration and co-creation in search of healing and in search of there's something basic to all human erotic experience. There is something essential. What's the secret to getting there? Irrespective of gender or sexual preference, what's, what's that essence? And in ter- that's my philosophical question. But physically speaking, how do you navigate bodies? How do you navigate being in a body you might not like? Well, I was going to say, works? when you're dysphoric, and then, then what? Then what? That's exactly it. And how... And dysphoria and- doesn't even... Ha- I mean, there's an obvious that we're having, you know, that, that we're talking about in within the LBGQT uh, family. But there's also dysphoria of people that feel just gross in their bodies. Thank you. It doesn't have to be about, you know, whether you identified cis or non, you know, or whatever. No, no, no. It makes no difference. I I have plenty of female friends are like, oh, I don't have sex. I feel so ugly. I feel so that that's dysphoria. That's like, thank you. And every human being, man, woman, child has feelings of dysphoria at at least once in their life, more like millions of times. (laughs) So to be able to find an ecstatic moment. And and the other thing that I really like is that you talk about how this isn't just about partners. This is a journey of self, which, again, as we talked about earlier, is so important. After reading your book, of course, I went straight to the bedroom like, all right, let's see what happens next, you know. And it was great because you talk about uh, sound and you, you mentioned that earlier. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never thought about that before. The sounds I make when I'm orgasming and leading up to orgasm you know, the, how the tones change. And so it was really fun to experience that or how my breathing changes or where I felt it in my body. You know, I'm pretty self-aware anyway, but it is still, you know, you always are learning something. So it was just this really beautiful thing. Exciting. I think, I'm so glad you found it that way. What, that's one of my intentions is to create a really kind of fun, humorous, lighthearted, wonder-filled mindfulness mm-hmm. around around sex with a oh wow kind of quality oh how cool you know as opposed to how serious it all becomes and how dangerous it all feels mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which it can um i just uh, last a few months ago released a, a video called transcendent boundary uh, bodies transcendent bodies and it is erotic massage for trans and gender non-conforming people but and and obviously if you fit into that category i think you might find it very helpful 
But to speak to your point, what we discovered in the course of that massage is that, in fact, we had come up with the erotic massage for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because it involved communication. It involved being sufficiently supported to take a risk. It, in, it, it It's how we would like to be engaged sexually no matter what body we're in. Right. If you think, you know, if you have a penis and you think that's not my penis, then how do you deal with touch with your partner or yourself? Or if you have a belly you don't like and you're right. like, oh, don't look at my belly, don't touch my belly... And you're in a heterosexual. I mean, there are so many levels to how we feel about ourselves and how others feel. You know, it's it's a complicated web. It sure is. One of the things when, when we were talking, when I was talking with Ten Speed, my publisher, for the first edition, I, I said we, we needed illustrations. And I said, I don't want to see... I mean, there's no way that we can represent every being on the planet, but I don't... I want mixed genders. I don't want perfect, you know, playboy bodies. I, I, I want, I want variety. I don't want to, I, I don't want to see all white people. <laughs> and in, in fact, Colleen Coover, um, did it. She, she managed to create little beings of all genders and races, um, doing these practices Mm -hmm. to try to invite as many people into the room. I mean, with a limited number of illustrations and and time that you have in a book, but still. Absolutely. I think the book feels very inclusive. I mean, as a white woman, you know, I I get included in lots of stuff, but when I was reading it, um, it, I did feel like you spoke very succinctly and very warmly and very inclusively throughout it, which it's lovely. It's a lovely book. And now I thank you. Yeah. And so that's fantastic. That you had said something, um, the abused can learn to orgasm. And I, I know we're running out of time, but I think that's a really important topic. The abused, the abused can learn to yeah. orgasm. Yeah. I wrote that down as I was like, Ooh, that's, that's, that's important. Yeah. I th- one of the I'll just pick one example of that because it's obviously such a huge topic. Sure. I remember when you said that I remembered a workshop room in Australia many years ago with um, let's just call it a relatively high abuse quotient. And we did erotic massage, in this case, uh, women only. And at that time, uh, it happened to be cis women only. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not, not because we were excluding anyone, that's just who showed up. Sure. And um, we did the massage in, in three, so there were two people giving to one person. And as I said... It's so completely consensual and desire-driven that, by desire I mean what you really want and nothing you don't, that one of the ways people, there were people who went as far as a kind of holding. What they needed was 90 minutes of having their boundaries respected. Mm. And that 
took them over a huge hurdle Mm -hmm. to where they could try, where they could go further. Or maybe then same people holding space, but they would like to hold the vibrator and they found they could orgasm Mm -hmm. in a sexual situation with other people, Mm -hmm. but being totally held in the way they needed to be held to get there. And there were other people who needed prolonged anger gasms to get to what they uh they would identify as a genital orgasm and they were loud i'm very grateful we were out in the bush yeah (laughs) no pun intended Uh, (laughs) uh no 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 australian bush and Explain really, was, just really quick as a side note, what, what an, uh, and we mentioned the different giggle-gasm, anger, what an anger-gasm means to you. Oh, very good point. Um, I think that, example, have you ever laughed so hard that you, the laughter was laughing you, you thought your diaphragm was spasming so intensely that you thought it might be possible like to die of laughter and that kind of just you don't know what you're laughing at you're just completely consumed it's like you're possessed when it finally stops because your your body saves you and makes you breathe you're like ah, 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 and it feels almost exactly like the afterglow of an orgasm mm-hmm. well you obviously there are crygasms that can leave you feeling that way there are Anchorgasms that can leave you feeling that way. Emotiongasms that mm-hmm. essentially provide the same level of tension and release, keyword release, as a genital orgasm. Mm-hmm. So, hence anchorgasms. So, there in, so in terms of, there's a lot, the, the whole notion of abuse and trauma is so huge Mm -hmm. and there are so many ways to there but I did talk about in the book in the toward the end it about what I called homeopathic sexuality and homeopathic sexuality just meant for me that a a little bit of exactly the exactly the right amount of something that you perceive hurt you can be part of your healing by which I do not mean more abuse, by which I mean being held in an erotic situation, having your boundaries scrupulously respected. Yes. Um, uh, with agency constantly. Um, that can be very healing and it can indeed save a whole lot of time in talk therapy or it may lead to something talk therapy could never get to. Right. Yeah, it's very powerful. Um, you're awesome. I'm so glad you're in the world. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I have to thank say, you. your resources cited at the end of the book were so wonderful. I was like, oh my, oh my God, it's a cornucopia of information. I'm so excited to dive into. So, even thank that. you. And we're expanding it for the for the new edition and getting more. In fact, we're going to throw some of them online so that we can more easily update them, which you obviously can't do once a book is printed. Sure. And the book is, is, is hitting the bookshelves when? Um, it, it'll, it's available on Amazon for delivery on the 21st of November. So soon. Yes. Good. And in Britain on the 12th of December. And I think roughly the same date in Australia. All right. Wonderful. 
And people can find you online. At barbaracarellas.com, C-A-R-R-E-L-L-A-S.com. And uh, UrbanTantra.com, too, right? Aren't you on there, too? Ur- UrbanTantra.com will take you there, for yeah. sure. UrbanTantra.org. Yeah. All the, all the places. And I'll put links to everything and make sure to link to the book. And like I said, I am buying a pile to give out at Christmas. I'm very oh, excited. thank you. Yeah. And you. I am so honored and thankful that you have been on Hey Human. I appreciate I it. I am so thrilled to have been here. I am in awe of what you do. Thank I think you. this is such a, an important uh, glimpse into our fellow creatures that you have staked out on your little corner of the web. I am deeply grateful for you. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day, and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you again. Definitely. (laughs) Okay, good. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.